0: He begins to shift their focus from earthly food to Him, the eternal food. He will give them food that endures to eternal life. Welcome to the Foxton with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Today, I want to take a look at John chapter 6, verses 25 to 51. I'm not going to read that text. But today's episode is going to be based on John chapter 6. And to begin, we have to have the purpose of John's gospel in view. Why did he write this gospel? Well, he tells us in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And there he says that Jesus did many other things which were not written in his book, but these things that he included in his gospel are there so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So, in other words, John is being selective in the stories that he chooses to include in his gospel in order to meet his objective. Again, his objective is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, you have life in his name. So, his purpose is evangelistic, but John also wants to provide comfort and encouragement. In other words, your faith in Christ is not in vain. So, John's gospel is different from the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke where they begin on earth, John's gospel begins in eternity. He says in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that the Word was God and was with God in the beginning. And we know that Jesus is the Word who existed in the beginning, and we know this for a couple reasons. First, John's gospel is about Jesus. It's about Christ. We just heard that in his purpose. But secondly, John says that something amazing happened. In verse 14, he says the Word became flesh. That means the Word who existed in the beginning, when God created all things, that Word who was God and was with God, that Word became flesh, meaning Jesus became a man. So we know that Jesus is God who became a man. He is the Word who took on flesh. So over the next several chapters, John includes stories to validate Jesus as the Christ. For example, Jesus turned water into wine, the first sign. He cleansed the temple, showing his authority over worship. He healed the sick, showing power over sickness. John states that many believed in him, arguing that he is who John says he is. In other words, faith in Christ is not in vain. And Jesus validated who he is by his signs and miracles. Then comes another miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus had five loaves and two fish, and with these meager portions, he fed 5,000 people, and he had 12 baskets left over. And do you realize he had those leftovers after everybody had their fill? So the next day, Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd comes to Capernaum to find him. So John chapter 6, verses 25 to 51, is directly related to the feeding of the 5,000. So you have to have that feeding of the 5,000 in mind when you come to this passage of Scripture. Now, you need to know that Jesus didn't feed the 5,000 merely as an act of kindness. He was doing something. He demonstrated himself in the feeding of the 5,000. In John chapter 6, verse 25, the crowd comes to him on the other side of the sea, and they ask when he came here. And Jesus knows their intentions. You see, they're not looking for salvation. They're not looking to follow him. They want more food. The day before, Jesus fed them with five loaves and two fish. And after he fed the 5,000, there was more food left over than Jesus began with. And all they want today is more food. You see, this illustrates the sinful heart. Jesus performs a miracle, and all they want is more food to fill their bellies. The sinful human heart is blind and cannot see God even when he is physically in front of them. Now, I want you to see something here. This isn't them. This is us. This is all of us. We come from the same sinful stock. We all come from Adam. We're just as corrupt as they are. Those of us who are believers in Christ have been made alive with Christ, so we see who Jesus is. But we were no different than they are. The only reason why we believe is because of the work of God. So I just think it's important here to recognize that we're no different than these people. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we would have just looked to Jesus for more food as well. Now, because we still continue to struggle with sin, we often fail to see the real significance of Jesus. We often want him simply to make our lives better, but his real significance is not to make things better on earth. His real significance is the fact that he purchased salvation for us. And again, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have recognized Jesus as the Son of God. These people illustrate who we are before God made us alive with Christ. We were blind and focused on our bellies. Well, Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter, and he tells them not to work for food that perishes, but food that endures to eternal life, which he will give them. And then Jesus shifts our focus from the earthly to the heavenly, from the temporal to the eternal. He begins to shift their focus from earthly food to him, the eternal food. He will give them food that endures to eternal life. So they ask him, what do they need to be doing to do the work of God? And Jesus responds by telling them that this is the work of God. Believe in the one whom God had sent. I want you to notice what happened here. They want to know the things they need to do to be doing the works of God. Listen to the New American Standard Translation. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? They're not asking about what is required for salvation. They want to produce bread on their own. But Jesus responds this way. This is the work of God, faith. But notice also he doesn't say this is the work that God requires. He says this is the work of God. In the original language, it is a singular noun, work with a genitive noun, of God, which is typically translated as a possessive. In other words, this is God's work, not the work that he requires. And what is his work? That you may believe in him whom he sent. In other words, God works faith in you. This is perfectly in line with Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, where God says that he will put a new heart in you that he will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And he will put his spirit in you and cause you to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. It's also in line with Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, where Paul says that you were dead, but God made you alive with Christ, giving you salvation, including the faith he requires. And you can listen to episode 5, where I talked about Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 in full. And finally, this is in line with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where Peter tells his readers that God caused us to be born again. You see, it's not your work for God that matters. It's God's work for you and in you that matters. Well, the people catch the claim that Jesus makes about himself, and they want a sign, basically saying, give us a reason to believe you. Now, isn't that interesting? He just fed them with five loaves and two fish, and he had more food left over than what he started with, and they want a sign? You mean yesterday when he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, that wasn't enough? You see, the human heart is sick and blind and arrogant. Do you notice what they're saying? Prove it, God. This is an act of insurrection on their part, putting themselves above God, demanding that he prove himself. You realize we do this too? We put God on trial, demanding that he gives us adequate evidence to believe in him. The problem is he already has through such things as creation and the resurrection. So their sinful hearts are revealed as they demand a reason to believe. And this shows that God has not worked faith in them. They tell Jesus that their fathers ate manna in the wilderness. So what are they referring to? Well, after the people of Israel left Egypt... But before they entered the promised land, they wandered for about 40 years, and God sent bread from heaven to feed them. And we see this in Exodus chapter 16. We also see it in Numbers chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So keep in mind that the manna event happened probably about 1,400 years before Jesus was even born. But that's the event they're referring to. So have that in mind, that God sent bread from heaven in order to feed his people. You see, they're thinking of a historic event. So with the man of event in view, Jesus says that his father gives them true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you notice they were thinking of bread that you eat? And Jesus is saying that the bread that God gives is a person. And this is the point that John made. In John chapter 1, verse 14, when God came down from heaven to become a man, the Word became flesh. And as God sent bread from the sky when the Israelites were in the wilderness, so God sent the true bread from heaven, from eternity. Jesus is connecting himself to the manna event. You see, Jesus is the manna. That manna event was pointing forward to Jesus. He is the true bread from heaven. And they ask Jesus to give them this bread always. So now Jesus has an open door. So they seem to have the idea, but not fully, because Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life. So where the crowd pursued Jesus for earthly bread, Jesus points them to eternal satisfaction, never hungry, never thirsty. Clearly, Jesus doesn't have the earthly life in view. We get hungry and thirsty on a daily basis. We're often spiritually dissatisfied. But Jesus' point is eternal life. Though there seems to be a softening, Jesus reveals their hearts. Even though they have seen God in the flesh, and they've seen a miracle, they don't believe. The hardness of our human hearts causes us to be unable to believe, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That's the human heart. But there is good news for sinners. There is a guarantee of the redemptive work of God. He says in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Christ came to save those whom the Father gave him. All those whom the Father gave to Jesus to save will come to him. It's guaranteed. Why? Because it's God's work in the human heart that enables them to come. He's not dependent on the response of any man. But not only is their coming to Christ in faith guaranteed, their remaining in Christ is also guaranteed. Look at what else he says in verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you ever struggle wondering if maybe you've walked away, maybe God has cast you out. It is impossible for you to lose your salvation. Jesus came to rescue you, those whom the Father has given to Jesus to save. He came to save you. And if he came to save you, I've already shown you it's a guarantee that you're going to be saved, but it's also guaranteed he's not going to cast you out. Peter says something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through There he says that the inheritance that Christ purchased with his blood is secured by God through faith. You don't secure the inheritance by your work. God secures it for you by working faith in you. God sustains you by the faith he worked in you. And Jesus tells us why we're secure in John 6. He came to do the will of the one who sent him. We see that in verse 38. He points us back. To John chapter 1, verse 14. God came to earth as a man. You see, God sent Jesus to come save you. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. And look at what the will of the Father is in verses 39 to 40. That he lose none that the Father gave him. Jesus is competent to save those whom the Father gave him to save. The will of the Father is that Jesus save his people from sin and death. So Jesus came to fulfill his Father's will, and to rescue his people. Because Jesus came to do the will of the Father, the success of Jesus is guaranteed. Remember, he is God, and God cannot fail. And all that the Father gave to Jesus will indeed come to him, and he will never cast them out. He will secure them until he raises them from the dead, and we all enter into God's eternal kingdom with Christ. Our salvation is guaranteed because it's God's work. It's Christ's work. Well, the Jews didn't like what Jesus said. They know who Jesus is as a man. Look at verse 42. This is Joseph's son. How can he be saying these things? So Jesus addresses their confusion. They don't understand because they haven't been drawn by the Father. That's what Jesus says in verse 44. No one can come to Christ unless the Father draw them. You see, the triune God does the work of salvation. The Father gives Jesus his people to save, and Jesus came to be the sacrifice for God's people. The Holy Spirit does the work on our hearts and makes us alive with Christ. Now, Jesus directs them to himself. He says that he is the bread from heaven. And Christ connects himself with the manna event. The bread from heaven was pointing forward to the true bread from heaven, who is Jesus Christ. The manna in the wilderness sustained people temporarily, but where are they? They eventually died. Christ, on the other hand, who came from heaven, who came from eternity, sustains God's people eternally. Do you see the connection where you eat bread and you will eventually die? Receiving Christ, you never will. Your eternal life has already started and it can never end. Jesus is the bread of life through manna, God demonstrated what would happen in the future. Jesus would come from eternity to rescue God's people. Jesus is the bread of life, the living bread that came from heaven. He says in verse 51 that anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Now, this is such a disturbing message that verse 66 said that many of those who followed him walked away from him, and they didn't follow him any longer. This is proof that God had not worked faith in them. So what did Jesus mean? Well, obviously, Jesus is being metaphorical here. The idea we see here is eating is believing. It's a metaphor. So to eat Jesus basically means to receive him by faith, recognizing your sin and your need for forgiveness and resting on his perfect life, sacrificial death and resurrection for your own eternal life. Just as bread sustains the physical body, so Christ's work sustains the believer spiritually, and it sustains him forever. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He physically died as our substitute, dying the death we deserve. The wrath of God was poured out on him to pay for our guilt. Now, it's true that we're going to die unless Jesus returns before we do, but what's going to happen? Jesus will return and we will rise from the dead because he's the bread that gives us eternal life. So here's John's encouragement. Your faith in Christ is not in vain. Jesus came from heaven to do the will of the Father. If you trust in Christ, you are one whom the Father sent Jesus to rescue. And Jesus is the bread of life. If you believe in him, you have eternal life and your faith is not in vain. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.